I'm gonna make you wish you never died. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we'll just get you right back into your meat suit. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the one-word titled film, Soul. The Pixar film, the Pixar Christmas movie of the year about... Also not about fish. It's <laughs> well, oh, not soul. about soulfish. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. No. Or, or the a, bottom it's... of a shoe. Yeah, it's, it is the most 2020 topic of all, which is that it is about death. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay, kids! Gather around the Pixar box. We're going to tell you that you are not permanent. Uh, <laughs> um, this you, actually, I got to tell you a quick, uh, a quick um, thing that happened just tonight, just a couple of hours ago. Okay. And I wish I had recorded this, but my um, my wife and my son were talking about Soul at the dinner table. Okay. And and uh, I, I actually, as soon as he said this, I ran off and scribbled this down. So I'm just going to read the the script that I wrote of of what they'd said. All right, here we go. Interior. <laughs> <laughs> Shahir gingerly mouths some Japanese takeout while listening into the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Mummy says, I kind of, and this is a spoiler for our conversation about the film, obviously. I kind of wish the movie was just about uh, him on Earth. Mm-hmm. My son chimes in, but Mummy, the movie is called Soul, and the movie has to represent what's in the title. And I just thought that was like a, it was a cool thing. And he hasn't even seen the movie. But it was just the fact that he said the word, the, and then we started talking about movie titles, and he was like, "Tell me a movie title where the title doesn't say what's in the movie." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I couldn't come up with one. I uh, actually could not come up with one." There has to be one. There has, there has to, to be, be one. And first, you know what my mind went to instantly, <laughs> but it's not true, is Swordfish for some reason. <laughs> There's probably that's a that's a good one. There's probably a reason why swordfish is isn't swordfish it's called. The pass, it's, it's like the it's, it's like the, a password thing. Yeah. they mention the word swordfish in the thing. So um, technically, that is in there. It is. No, no I know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, again, my just my my brain went to it. Like, uh, it's been a while. Bottle rocket. No, bottle rocket. They play with bottle rockets in the okay. film, and that's kind of a thing. Uh, <laughs> the... I was like, my mind went to uh, Louis Benoit's film, The Obscure Object of Desire. Okay, but. But the woman is the obscure object of desire. So what about that's... like a one word? No, again, I was like game night. No, that's pretty much all the movies. Yeah, about. that's what the, that's what that's about. All right, listen, your listeners, son may listeners. have cracked onto that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us onlymoviepod if you can think of a movie that's title has nothing to do with what the movie is. That's yeah. so strange. And maybe a... we'll review it. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's funny because like the only reference points that he has, again, he hasn't seen any of these movies, but he's just obsessed with superhero characters right now. So I was like, Batman versus Superman? Nope, that's Batman versus Superman. Uh, yeah. The Avengers? Yep, that's the Avengers. Age of Ultron? Nope, that's about the Age of Ultron. Yeah. Uh, so I got nothing right now. Also, I'm really <laughs> happy that even, even though we can't see each other in these dark COVID times, my malicious influence onto your son's media <laughs> is still so powerful it reaches across a block and a half of queens through concrete and brick. Let me tell you something right now, buddy. It ain't you. Uh, oh, the, it is. The Marvel Cinematic Universe and Disney uh, reaches very far into the tendrils of my son's brain. Yeah. Um, who who allowed this to happen? <laughs> uh, who's, under whose watch before he was but a seed, a sparkle <laughs> in your eye? Who Actually, his grandparents his grandparents just sent him, like, the. I don't know if you have these, these golden... Um, 
Golden Age books, I think they're called. Which oh, is I like do the, remember those. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, but they sent him a series that are the Marvel stories, it's so and it's funny. it's so funny because it's just blatantly like trying to get the kids to be involved, you know, invested in these stories. But most of the DC stories are about genetic modification, like that, <laughs> the, the, like or, like I was like Captain America, the Hulk. Well, that's um, those are both Marvel. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. All the Marvel stories right. are are about gen- genetic modification. I think Iron Man is the only one that is not necessarily about genetic modification, but he is modifying his body. Sure, um, he's very yeah. cyberpunk. He's he's augmenting. So I was this, I was just like, it was a common theme, and then there were even villains that were similar between different characters. There's one called <laughs> Zaza. Uh, I don't. Do you know Zaza? Zaza? There's yeah. a, there's a Zaz. Is it Zaz? No, that's Victor Zaz in, yeah. in the DC. Yeah. No, no, no. This is Zaza who's in the Hulk world, okay. who is a ball of pure energy, which I think we saw in the Ang Lee Hulk movie. Yeah. But this one is an actual character. And then the same traits are in an Iron Man villain as well, who's a, a character who's a ball of pure energy. Yeah. There's, there's also an Iron Man character called Unicorn, I think. Yep. Listen, which I was let's not, not aware get, of. Let's not get into C and D list tier uh, Marvel <laughs> characters because they get dumb. Look at it, yeah. you polka dot man. Um, <laughs> or that might be DC too. The, yeah. uh, there was oh the spot. That's who I'm thinking of in Spider Man. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, but we're not talking about any of that. I am. I am. Despite the fact, I am glad that your son is indoctrinated into the world of Mar- Marvel. Uh, Hallow be thy name. Uh, I am also glad that he came up with this wonderful retort to uh, to your wife's. Uh, I was I was film. impressed. I really and it was the, in, like what impressed me was that he. I know this is a proud dad moment, but he said the word represent, and I was like, that's a that, like where did he get? The, I, I don't know where he got that word from because that was the first time I'd ever seen him. It was the first time I'd ever heard him say that word, and he used it in the correct context. What if? What if? What if he secretly like finds an old iPod of yours and downloads all of these podcasts to better know his father and he's getting all of this information? What if we're teaching your son right now? Well, then we are teaching him the worst possible messages because we are oh. meandering. We are off topic. Well, I, I will say he went to the he I, it, again, continuing the story. Oh, of he course, went to the DVD shelf to pull out movies to to try and prove his point or to like ask if they were and he was and he knows what Citizen Kane is because I was talking about Citizen Kane to my wife in the episode that we were about to do and I was explaining to him what it is so he I'm raising a little film nerd who might hate movies well because yeah because he hasn't seen them like <laughs> he hasn't listen. seen them and also it's that thing where you know when when a parent loves something the kid automatically kind of doesn't like it just by by virtue of the fact that the parent loves it. And I don't think, I think we're, we're hitting down that train with them. But normally <laughs> the parent shows or shares that thing with the person, but you're just sharing the titles or the covers of it, <laughs> which makes it taboo, which makes it more interesting. You're playing oh. some, you're playing some like real third, fourth dimension uh, mind games here, which I think might work out in your favor. I don't know. We'll see how we go. He doesn't like watching movies right now, which is, which is a real bummer for me. Because well, I kind of... Uh, yeah, and he's just more into like episodic television because it's like immediate. He can just like watch a thing and then another he's one. He's really comes into on. the Crown right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's really into the Crown. <laughs> Game of Thrones season two uh, is his jam. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe, maybe he just hasn't uh, fully realized what his spark yet is, Shahir. Maybe not. Just lo- one last thing. We were watching Muppet Babies <laughs> Here the I other was night, trying to make the transition <laughs> smooth. Going right back in. One more story. Go. 
in the Muppet Babies, there is an overt reference to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I spotted it as we were watching it, and I and and I tweeted about it, and the director of the show actually tweeted back and said yes, and um, and uh, I had to explain to him uh, what Ferris Bueller's Day Off was, and his first question was, "Is Ferris a good guy or a bad guy?" Oh, and that's was a like, deep question. Yeah, and I, and I was like, "That's a complicated question," because I would say Ferris is a douche, but anyway, and that's what you said to your son. No, well, no, I didn't say douche. Well, I think we found what your spark is. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's scarring your children with language. Um, <laughs> That's what I do. Anywho, Soul, everybody. Hi, this is a podcast about the film Soul. Uh, yes, this is a podcast. <laughs> Eventually, it will be a podcast about the film Soul. <laughs> As uh, we discuss ours in this uh, ever-trying years of 2021. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, and again, we will get <laughs> yeah. to the film. We will I get to the movie. You. Listen. <laughs> I just realized I never asked you this question, Shahir. Do you believe we have a soul? Do you believe human beings... Let's start with human beings. Do we have souls? Huh. You know, I've never actually pondered that question more than uh, uh, peripherally. I guess I would say I believe we do. Because I believe that we have some autonomy over destiny... And I also believe that our soul is a manifestation of the things that we believe hmm. and, and that that soul is unique to us. I guess I do. I'm not a spiritual person. Sure. I'm not a, no, no, no. I'm not a religious person. Right. So, um, but I guess I do believe in some way that we are all unique snowflakes. All right. Fair. How about you? Uh, I, too, am not religious. Hi to everyone who knows me or has listened to this podcast uh, at all. Uh, However, I also uh, come from the school of thought that to think that the experience that I'm having in this meat suit is the only actual thing that is out there is an incredibly self- Almost like just like to believe that it's the this is the best or the only thing just seems so like impossible. Um, so so I do think that there is some sort of uh, anima or 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 some uh, way that we are we are uh, more than just the sacks of uh, cells and bones that we are. But the at the same time, I I don't think I believe in the any of the concepts of like where the soul actually goes for most of the organized religions. What I will say is it kind of falls into. That sort of like, well, I mean, and there's a couple of weird sort of pseudoscience things, right? Like a body is technically like, what is it like, centigrams lighter after you die for no reason. There's a there's a Alejandro Gonzalez in a Ritu film called Forty Seven Grams. Forty Grams, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But like, there, there's that sort of thing, and there's a couple other. Th- I don't know. It it makes sense that there is something else driving or connected to other things. That's kind of how you uh, can sort of square things in this world that you can't understand. Uh, but I don't think that like I, I have not uh, uh, ascribed to the type of soulness that this movie kind of posits or at least tries to simplify in a way. I think this movie does a lot of interesting conceptual things right in that space. But uh, so short answer, yes, but more like uh, a, a sort of untangible energy that helps drive us, I guess. Not like all of my all of my all of what i am as me is my soul i think it's a combination of the meat suit and whatever that energy is and i think once the meat suit goes i will not be me though my the energy that that soul has would might move on to something else 
And by the way, my math was wrong. It's 21 grams, according to uh, Inaritu's film. Well, we've been uh, eating a lot of double stuff Oreos in quarantine, so that, that has is to true. add on the soul grams. Yeah, I've um, got a lot of extra soul grams going yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, could you tell us what Pete Doctor's movie Soul is about? Because I think we could continue this conversation in the context of the movie. Oh, I would be delighted. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. Uh, also incorrect. Is it? He's not lost his passion for music at all. Oh my God, you're right. I feel like this was written prior to the actual, uh, prior to the movie being released. He, oh my no, God, you're right. Th- is there's this... no, no part of that is accurate. Uh, he has not lost any passion for his music. In fact, more than anything, he is desperately passionate about his music. He lost his <laughs> ability to engage with his passion being yeah. dead. He died. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> is this the first IMDb truly wrong we, things have omitted I mean, or glanced yeah. at things, but this is inaccurate. This is completely inaccurate. Yeah, Someone call just... the IMDb police. <laughs> yeah. I'd like Someone to report a crime. Someone call Mr. or Mrs. IMDb yeah. and, uh, and uh, report to crime. Your, your, your child, uh, uh, <laughs> sir or madam, is, is in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, it's 10 p.m. and do you know where your description is? Yeah, apparently um, not. So this is the uh, uh, the second Pixar film that I think we've done on this uh, on this podcast. The other we've one being only, Onward. We've only done I, two. I feel like we've only done two. That uh, again, tourist man, if you're out there listening in, help us. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm sure I might be. Uh, but this is the first Pete Doctor film. One film that I was very oh. disappointed that we didn't get to do was. Um, um, Inside Out and I know as you're looking back I'm like oh wait there was another uh, Pixar film that we did which was Toy Story 4 there we go yeah. Ooh, oh my gosh again <laughs> we will get to Soul have you seen on Disney Plus and this 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 is so funny have you seen the miniature things they must have released with Toy Story 4 when, when Disney Plus was hungry for content and was probably just throwing money at teams Forky asks a question Forky asks a question Hey, I don't know. I don't know. You've seen yeah. them. I look, I have a four-year-old. Yes, we have watched Forky Asks a Question. I <laughs> I think Forky Asks a Question is the best thing to come out of the Toy Story franchise. Yeah, yeah. Um, No no shade thrown at you there. Uh, well, no. Uh, oh, uh, the Toy Story. No, look, I, I still love Toy Story 2. I think that, that film is brilliant. I love uh, all the films, but I have not been more, I will say, straight up just interested yeah. in, a, in a in a Toy Story property than the nine-part series. They're five minutes each. You should watch didn't, the new have Disney Plus. Forky asks a question. Didn't uh, didn't uh, didn't that win an, uh, win an Emmy? Like, I believe it's actually won an Emmy or something like that. They started playing for me after I watched Soul. It was like on the up next thing, and I was like, what is this? Yeah. And then I sat there for however long it took, and I watched all of them. And I've never been high, but I felt so out of my gourd on <laughs> drugs after watching them. I think I understand the, the appeal now. Oh, wait till you watch Party Source Ricks, which is... Uh... Uh, a little Toy Story short as well, which my, again my son loves that uh, that little short. It's basically where uh, the T Rex character from Toy Story uh, goes to the bathtub world and it becomes known as a Party Source Rex. It's pretty awesome, gotta right. say. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure. But this is the uh, third, one, two, three, no, fourth film by Pete Doctor over at Pixar. Uh, again, the film that I, I'm sort of disappointed that we didn't get to do is Inside Out. Have you seen Inside Out, by the oh, way? Oh, yes, very much. I think yeah, a few yeah. times at this point. 
Yeah, it's it's a wonderful Monsters Inc. I also love uh, up. I'm sort of mixed on up, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of where I stand on Soul. But um, uh, hmm, how do we frame this conversation? You I mean, there's a lot of different you... frames we could we could yeah. use. I mean, we we've discussed whether we believe we have souls. Mm-hmm. With those souls in text, how did our souls resonate with this film? Uh, I mean, I'll go first. Uh, I really, 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 more so than a lot of other Pixar films, like, did something that we'll wrap back to at the end of this review, once we're into full spoiler alert uh, territory, where I just sort of, like, this was the first Pixar movie in a while that, like, I just sort of rolled with. Mm-hmm. Like, it... it it had some of the best flow for me. Mm-hmm. I, I I was not taken out of the experience for one second. And again, not all moments of being taken out of a film I would consider bad, but like yeah. sometimes you're watching an animated thing and you're and you'll notice like a cool animation or even any movie and like a neat m- music sting. Like yeah. everything felt so smooth and put together in this film. It was a clean ride for me start to finish. Um I also appreciated that its concepts, uh, however uh, you feel about them, were some of the most complex, and and I I, I hate to use the word adult, but I think it's just complex. They're more complex, I think, uh, while being more focused than, say, an Inside Out. Inside Out's complex, but Mm. it's it's a bit more... um, a bit more feel i mean it's obviously a lot of feelings you know what i mean yeah. this this feels a, a little more drilled down and it was a, a, after the fact when i started actually trying to analyze what i just watched because again i wasn't doing it during the thing in fact i have no notes for this movie because i literally normally take them while i was while i watch it and i was just sort of like i i went i went glass-eyed and went <laughs> to this movie and i was just in it for the ride and i enjoyed it very much right. um I think the the voice acting was stellar. The animation, oh god, it made me miss going outside in New York so much. Yeah, yeah it's um, the, the the rendering. It, it's like Greenwich Village or the Lower East Side that they're sitting right. Or they well, actually, there's some queens in there. Here's the thing: I yeah. don't think there's actually one part in this movie. And if there is, it, I, maybe I just don't know my boroughs well enough. But because this, I felt like did that sort of like cardinal movie trope of like just going everywhere in New York. Like yeah. because it's you New turn York. You a corner, you're in Queens, and the yeah. next corner you're in Harlem. There was the next definitely you're in Bronx. there was yeah. definitely a, um, uh, J- uh, Jamie knew exactly where one corner was in yeah. in Queens, and then there was another one where I thought was on Hoyt, but maybe I was wrong. They kept on taking the seven train, which led me to led me to believe that he lived in Queens, but yeah. worked and commuted in uh, into the Lower East Side because he he rides past the Silver Cup Studio sign yep. at one point as well. That makes sense. Uh, um, overall, though, I, I I really dug it. I also really liked the art direction of the Soul World as well. I liked that it was a very it was it both contrasted but never sort of detracted from. I was always happy to make the jump from one place to another, which mm. I didn't think I would be after seeing how beautiful the New York stuff was. Yeah. And and lastly, yo. Uh, Trent Reznor, man. I didn't realize... <laughs> and, and Atticus Ross. Yeah, I know. But I didn't realize yeah. that this was uh, a, a pairing of Trent Reznor until the end, and then it yeah. all clicked for me. I'm like, yeah, this is what a, a, a happy Trent Reznor sounds like. It's so strange, isn't it? Because, okay, another kid story is that 
me and my son listen to Nine Inch Nails, The Perfect Drug, A Perfect Drug, all the time because I was t- I was talking to him about drum solos, and so oh, I just yeah. pulled out tracks that were like have great drum solos, and the two that we pulled out were Dave Brubeck's uh, t- um, Take Five yep. and um, Nine Inch Nails, Perfect Drug, and so we talked, you know, we talked about just drum solo, and he loves that track, so we listened to to Nine Inch Nails all the time. I feel like Nine Inch Nails is your son's perfect energy match. Oh, my God. Like, because yeah. yeah. like, I've seen your son dance, and, yeah, like, yeah. that feels like just, like, <laughs> like it's not, it's like thrashing with joy. Yeah, yeah. I'm horrified at the moment when, like, somebody asks him what his favorite song is, and he says, a perfect drug. Um, Whatever. We live, actually, in, we live in New yeah. York. No one cares. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we actually know the lyrics as well, which is which is kind of scary. Um, <laughs> My blood wants to say hello to you. <laughs> he imagine a five year old singing that. <laughs> yeah, I am, and he and I are going to sing it next time uh, we see each other uh, at a socially distanced level. Um, but yeah, no the I the thought that the person who wrote that song or I want to fuck you like an animal is writing music to Pixar's soul as well is kind of amazing. But it's 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 perfectly calibrated. I yeah. think the the score that they do for um uh for the 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 great beyond is inc- it's just it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this though, I do I am very very mixed on this movie as a whole, uh, which is to say. All of the things you say is absolutely correct. This is beautiful, gorgeous in all the way that Pixar can do. It is ambitious in all the ways that Pete Doctor has demonstrated that he is willing to push the medium. Pete Doctor is now the sort of creative lead at Pixar, so he's actually kind of running the studio. Right. Um, as opposed to, uh, I think he's not going to be directing films as much anymore. Um, but, you know, my wife said this, you know, she was like, wow, it's just amazing to watch a film that's so ambitious and does something so different with the medium and mm. and does something so like I haven't so that it's it's tackling questions in a way that I don't think um most films would bother to tackle and that, you know there are there is a history of films that that deal with the afterlife and, sure. and, and our souls and what have you but again for, for this film to be you know like to 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 dive right into like what is a soul where do we come from and how do we create the mechanics of that or how do we represent the mechanics of that uh i think is is just um wonderful amazing i and to that end i absolutely adored inside out because i felt like inside out gave uh, a visual language to discuss how emotions work and not in a way that's like, okay, this is definitely how emotions work, but this is, it's more in a way of like, this is how you can think about emotions right. in order to, you know, calibrate how your brain might work. Um, and it's, and, and in this film, there's a scene where I think 22 uh, played by Tina Fey says, this is all hypothetical, you know, like we're just imagining all of this. Um, and, and so to that end, that kind of gives them this sort of carte blanche to create this weird, unusual sort of world that doesn't really have any grounding in reality, but, you know, like has this sort of beautiful sort of um, ethereal sense to it that evokes the afterlife and the great beyond and the great, you know, uh, and the great before, mm-hmm. um, but without being direct and saying that it has to be this way. So it avoids the sort of religiosity of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, religiosity. Religiosity. That was a Bill Mayer film, right? Yep. Yeah, I think um, so, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that said, here, there's a couple of things. 
between this and I'm and I, I will continue to use Inside Out as a sort of a framing reference. For it's this hard film. not to. It's hard not to because they feel like they are they are hand in hand, um, and that, but that is not to say that that we should look at Soul only from the prism of of where Inside Out comes from. But I think I just want to use that as a as a sort of jumping off point. There's a couple of things. One is that um, one of my feelings about Inside Out, and this is sort of it's become less important as time has gone on. But my feeling about Inside Out is that, and Soul has this as well, is that there is a meta narrative and a real world narrative that are running concurrently in both of these films, yes. right? And in Inside Out, one of the things that I thought was that the meta narrative was far more interesting than the real world narrative. The real world narrative was was okay, but not as sort of complex and rich, but it served its purpose really well. It was relatable, but mm. simple. Yeah, relatable, but simple. And in the case of Soul, I kind of think it's the inverse of that, which is that the real world narrative is really rich and interesting. And, and, and I, you know, like my wife said, I kind of would be okay if this film was just about, you know, this guy trying to sort of navigate doing this one thing that he really wants to do. And the meta narrative, while beautiful and rich and sort of, you know, again, conjured that sort of uh, tapestry of how does the soul work was much less interesting than the real world narrative. And I found that that sort of was an interesting, that put me in an interesting place, which is that, again, I, I, I believe it's very beautiful and I, and I like everything that this film does, but the, the two world narratives weren't quite meshing for me in sort of an interesting way. And the one, the way I'd sort of, the way I tried to sort of think about it is that Inside Out to me felt like it was a kid's movie that was secretly pitched to adults. Soul feels to me like it's an adult movie that's secretly pitched to kids. Sure. And it's simple, you know, like it's 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 messaging about what life means feels very simple by the time we get to the end of it and it's and it's sort of understanding it's uh, of the the challenges that Joe Gardner is facing ultimately comes down to sort of fairly simple answers and that's 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 okay but they don't sort of leave me in that profound way that i think inside out does See, oh sorry i was just gonna say mm. I, I definitely get where that's coming from however i found and maybe this might be um a difference in in well no i don't know i, I in a weird way we, you and i disagree on a lot of things yeah. I do think that you and I shut though, up. Actually, you shut up. Um, I do think though one th way, like while our opinions on things differ, I think the way our brains work and parse information is similar. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, like the framework is the same. It's just all of the spices are all over the damn place. Like the, yeah, I got a lot of cardamom in mine. Right. Yeah. I, paprika all day. So yeah. Um, so. So for this, it's interesting because for Inside Out, I really enjoyed it, but. I didn't connect with it incredibly hard because I, I feel like, and look, I'm going to therapy. Mm. I don't understand my emotions completely, but like mm. I have a handle on the concept of emotion and oftentimes I can notice when I am doing something based on being too emotional or, or, or reacting in a certain way and et cetera. And so like the concept of it was always like, ah, uh, yes, I understand that reference yeah. where this because it's something that is a lot more nebulous the concept of death and your soul and what happens and and what the I mean for lack of a better term the meaning of life in a weird way yeah I actually found it much more engaging because I don't feel like I have a decent grasp on all of those things and while I do not think what this film did with them is perfect it kept yeah. my attention 
and and made me interested in that. The last addendum before we get to your second thing, because I feel like all I did was sing this thing's praises. Hmm. I also didn't actively think about this film much once I was off the ride. Right. Yeah. Uh, it did not make me question my soul or my purpose or my spark or whatever other vernacular you want to say that the movie is is talking about. It just I enjoyed the 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 dalliance into that topic and then I did not wade in it like other films often do. So I think yeah. that's kind of a strike against it in a weird way, but maybe Well, not. it's it's weird. It's cuz you know, I I I actually I 100% agree with you, but it's like it's we're sort of talking about a film's ambition and its reach. And this is not there's no there's no case here where this film's reach does not exceed its grasp. Like it is you know, like they know what they're doing and yeah. they do it very, very well. Uh, you know, th this movie, you know, for all the things that I will have gripes with with this movie or, or the things that I don't think work and, I, and I'll try to explain why, um, it's a masterclass in filmmaking and it's a masterclass in storytelling. It's a masterclass in, in world building and, and all the things that make everything Pixar does kind of amazing. Um, but but you know to that point that we didn't you know think about it um, for for long periods of time afterwards is sort of an interesting takeaway because a film like Inside Out that Pete Doctor also also made like gave me an interesting it, it changed the way I think about emotions in terms of like I you know if I'm having a really bad day and I'm really angry I suddenly say the red you know the anger uh, emotion must be taking charge today or if I'm having like a day where I'm very anxious I, I you know like I, I started I, I imagine those characters running around in my brain um, whereas this film I think to that end didn't resonate with me um, in the way that I think it should, given that it's playing with the same sort of tapestry of the metaphysical and the and you know versus the real world and 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 how those two things interplay with each other. Um, like I didn't I didn't sort of walk away going, huh? Yeah, it's, it'd be an interesting concept that that we are born with personalities that get added to, and each of us have our own individual spark. I didn't really that that didn't latch to me in a way that I took out of the movie. Um, and I and you know I think that's it. The one thing is this came out uh was it the same day as uh wonder woman yes it was they both came out on christmas and and there was a thing that i i was like and, I, and i'm not the only person to sort of notice this as well uh is that both wonder woman and this film kind of resolve with a be happy with what you have kind of mentality which is really interesting um because it, it just it you know they come from places where people are dream makers I and yes and it's 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 a very loose connection, but both both films kind of like land on this idea is that, you know, do with what you have, do the best with what you have right now, as opposed to wishing for something something grander. I actually disagree. Well, uh, well, I was I will say, Soul is slight in in the case of Soul, what they're saying is is certainly more nuanced than that, and and works, whereas it doesn't really work at all in Wonder Woman 1984. I think what Wonder, but I, I think, think they're kind of landing in the same place. Wonder Woman is saying that a hundred percent. Don't cheat to get ahead. Uh, you know, the world is as it is, and you should accept it. Um, Soul, I feel like, is more of a. <laughs> The world doesn't care if you accept it. <laughs> like, so like you, you might as well appreciate not not just appreciate like what you have, but like kind of appreciate everything. There's like a different. 
there's a different, yeah. more yeah. uplifting feeling to it. So, it, like Wonder Woman, weirdly enough, and I hate, I hate this, mm. has such a nihilistic <laughs> outlook on everything, and it's the actual, it's the exact opposite of what I want that movie to sort of be spouting. This, I feel like, does give me the opposite. Granted, it might be coming about both of those answers on the same highway, but I feel like they're both going in opposite directions. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I I will completely agree that Soul is uh, much richer and much more nuanced about how it lands at that point. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, it's not about accepting what you have; it's much as enjoying the world for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's different. That that's again much more uplifting than what Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four lands on um, by the end of it. Merry um, Christmas! Yeah, happy holidays. Um, <laughs> If we can get into spoilers, though, I, I do want to, like, drill down into the, like, why this is not resonating. Sure. One um, last thing about spoilers, because now we're in it, and I can yeah. say it. I did not watch the trailer for this movie. Huh. How was that? I did not know. And, and I, I guess I should have gathered it, because I saw a little soul person next to a yeah. man wearing the same hat, and I was like, yeah. I should have put two and two together. But again, I feel like I was on this ride, so I didn't care. So when Joe died... Yeah. I was literally like in shock. I was like, did they just fucking kill this guy? Yeah. It was, and, and it was one of those moments where I have to give it to you. I, it was so much stronger because I didn't know that was coming. Right. Because they, they huh. paint such a lovely, vivid picture of this man making a choice about his life and being offered two paths, even though, side note, both paths probably could be done at the same time. Um, but that, what were the two paths? Uh, taking oh, a oh, stable yeah, taking teaching a gig yeah. or, or playing jazz yeah. at night, which I yeah. guess, yes, anyone who's even tried a dalliance in stand-up comedy in New York City or any sort of musical career, if you burn the mm-hmm. candle at both ends, you will eventually go out. And, of course, Joe is middle-aged, and there's a lot of different things. I go to sleep at midnight now. So yeah. uh, there's... Yeah, I, I just when I was ringed, I was like, well, I mean, you could like gig on the weekends, dude. Like midnight, those, them some rookie hours, buddy. Yeah, you gotta get the, you gotta pump those numbers up. I'm good. I wake up too early too, and I, <laughs> I pump out. I have to mine the YouTube uh, fields to to make that hot content. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think uh, yeah the 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 way this film deals with with that subject, I think is is really interesting, and, I, and I'm glad that you didn't watch the trailer. It's funny because I think the last time I actually physically saw you in person, we were exchanging Christmas gifts yes. outside a billboard, an electronic uh-huh. billboard where they where they had the uh, the poster for Soul, yep. and uh, my son was with me, and, and he was looking up and going, "Soul, we're gonna watch that one day," which he still hasn't done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I I do want to drill into like why this film doesn't resonate, and I I to to me. It, it, it comes down to that sort of the 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 sense that the the af, the world of the afterlife and the journey of the afterlife it, it doesn't hmm it doesn't land in a place that is profoundly interesting to me other than to say like ultimately where the film kind of lands is wake up and smell the roses you know like it's pretty much like the world around you is wonderful enjoy it for what it is and your spark and and i guess this was the wonder woman comparison is your spark isn't your life's purpose you can you know it doesn't have to be this all-encompassing thing yeah which i i guess maybe from from my point of view and i and i guess i have a worldview which is very direct and very much like i am passionate about cinema film and filmmaking so i'm very uh conscious that 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 is a singular drive that i have but you know look the film i think 
wisely has this moment where he achieves that um, by the sort of before the end of the third, before the sort of final race. And he realizes that there's nothing more else to it. You know, like he, he, he gets to play with Dorothea. It goes wonderfully. He's alive now and he feels empty about it. You know, like he's like, Oh, is that why, what happens now? And she goes, we're going to do this again tomorrow night, you know? And, um, and I think that that, that is again, sort of, uh, a thoughtful way to approach that that answer of like just smell the roses around you, but I I'm not entirely sure about the just smelling the roses around you is kind of that resonates I, I, for me. I think that what I think it's it's those roses. I think it's less smell the roses around you and real instead realize everything is roses. Like I think it's 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 like um that moment felt as oh god oh god i'm gonna say something terrible ready you ready for sheer okay okay i'm heading I'm just, as yeah. a creative uh. <laughs> i feel <laughs> like as someone who creates something uh content nearly every week on youtube and we both work on television and films and like the, the, we are constantly putting pieces of ourselves out there right mm. There is momentary catharsis in a success, but at the end of the day, so much media has trained me to believe like, and then you live happily ever after. You you achieved your goal. Congratulations. Mm. And when this movie just goes, well, what happens now? I thought I'd feel different. It's like, yeah, well, we're going to do it again. And yeah. you're like, this is the realest any of these messages has <laughs> ever been in a film of this uh, of, of this like lane I'll say right like right. because that's true like we work hard all the time to create stuff yeah and then we create it and whether it's the best thing in the world and people absolutely love it or no one watches it or it's middling we just go do it again but but here's the difference that I think the, the difference is in the story of Joe Gardner so if we're to use you as an analogy if your life's goal was to create content on on extra credits or whatever on YouTube, and 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 the the catharsis that you receive you receive is that, um, you know, you do it, you put out an episode, and then you go fuck, it's it, you know like the feeling that I thought I was going to have isn't actually the feeling I'm going to have because I just need to do this again mm -hmm. and I need to keep doing it again. The thing that's different about Joe Gardner is he's lived a life of not achieving the thing he wants at all it's not like he's he's playing badly every night at a jazz club uh -huh. he's never played in a jazz club or he's never played with people that respect him in a way that that you know like he's the the path he's looking at is not being a performing musician instead being a teacher uh or becoming a performing musician but that's the same right? way that's the same way with everyone I, let's keep talking about misha here yeah, uh yeah. like that's the same thing as like voice acting or whatever like uh for instance like I, now i get to voice act mm -hmm. literally every week i've wanted to do that for a very long time right right and i finally got to do it and it's wonderful and i do like it and i love what i do but there is still that like I've never gotten from this current job, this podcast, or anything I've ever done that moment of, and I lived happily ever after, because that's not how life works. And no. lots of lots of films and stories and comics and everything have trained me to sort of believe that along with other fictitious tropes. This yeah. was refreshing to see represented a man that loves the thing he does. Be shocked that when he finally reached this goal, this precipice, sort of being like, huh. And then, like, the, the moments, especially near the end when he has those... Actually, it's funny. The... <laughs> 
when he gets in the zone and starts yeah. like basically what should have been the climax of the film uh yeah. uh when he's like reliving moments of his life uh, of like yeah. how different ways music and the environment and everything have affected him not just like this big moment where he got to perform with the cool jazz band mm. that was like that was very moving and that made it feel like more correct to me um mm. i don't know i just think what, what i'm not disagreeing with you that it that mm. like it's not that it, this film doesn't stick the landing. It's that once it lands, I'm just sort of like, "Hey, what's for dinner?" Like yeah. I don't know. Like there's no there's no ear there's no brainworm to it for me. Yeah, yeah. And I, look, I think my point here is that Joe Joe's life, you know, Joe's ambitions are profound to him. It's not a case that he's just changing gigs and realizing that he's going to have to do it, you know, like over and over again. He's like, he's defying his mother's wishes. He's fulfilling what he believes he saw with his father that first time that he went into a jazz club. He's now in the jazz club. And it's something that he, you know, like as we've seen through his life, uh, through that sequence of his life, it's something that he's never achieved. So he's also I, built it up, though. That's the he's other built sort it up. Of key too. But 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 I I I kind of think the I, I don't know in my experience the first time you hit that high is the is the thing that keeps you going through the next thirty times when it when it diminishes. Interesting. And, That's never been the case for me. Really, I I've so, had this. I've had that exact moment he had outside that club. Like it, it you I I always think it's going to be there and it's not. What's funny is I I. I've definitely had that moment, but the moment I remember that keeps me going is the moment when he's inside the club and he, you know, and he finishes the track and he, fi and he finishes performing and it's a uh, uproarious and he knows he's done well, Yeah, you know, like, the, and that's the drive that keeps him going. Uh, I guess, I guess that it's neither here nor there because I do believe that he is going to continue on and what the lesson he's learned uh, through this like near death experience is that he is going to uh, appreciate the 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 world around him as it is, um, you know. So I think I I I do think that is that is it's not a it's not a one or the other. He's not going to like stop doing the jazz sure. club or anything like yeah, that. He's he going to continue. It's yeah, not a dichotomous gonna, thing. He can yeah, live yeah, yeah. his life a trillion different ways. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I, I will say I you know like for example the the uh, Terry who's keeping the count. Ah, uh, yes, um, Rachel House, who is now yeah, typecast in this character for literally ever because she's great at it. <laughs> she's great. She is the enforcer. Yeah. Um, uh, like, I didn't find that that story of her, you know, and, and the film itself even throws it away at some point, um, of her chasing down yep. uh, Joe. I, I didn't find that that was a particularly compelling, nor the stakes fully realize because the film kind of undermines those stakes um you know in a sort of playful way and not not un not uncleverly but but like you know pretty much just throws away that that entire narrative so that it doesn't really matter too much i would have um, liked it and again i liked the character fine terry was very funny yeah. i kind of wish there wasn't a hunt or a chase or a villain type thing in this like you could have done you could have gotten those emotional like rush points with 22 and joe like when 22 runs away or they can't find yeah. each other. Like there's other ways you could have done it. And it would have fit with the film's overall narrative. Just like, this is how the, this is how the afterlife or the universe or existence yeah. works. Like we didn't need an embodiment. It's, it's the, Terry is a stand in villain, even though what yeah. they're doing is not villainous. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're the antagonist. Yeah. Um, and he well, didn't well, I need guess it. I, 
I, and I guess what's interesting is that sort of the Terry's and the Jerry's, are like you know, they're these quantum entanglements that understand that that pull the universe of strings. They understand how the world works in its fullest extent. Um, but like for example, in Inside Out, when joy and sadness are cast out of the brain and they're having to navigate back with Bing Bong, you know, like these are all characters that don't really understand how the world works, and so they're learning it, and and the stakes are very high because they don't understand what happens when the when the, the the sort of monuments of personality fall away you know like i th- th- those stakes are very high in that film they're they're sort of like abstract in this one where it gets to a point where the the sort of soul world and the real world aren't as and then look let's let's just we, we, there's there's a lot i want to talk about this film which let's i think keep is going. Was, let's keep going it's, keep rolling which is a testament to why it's despite my qualms about it i still highly recommend it um but but the the sort of the displaced souls that get you know thrown you know joe gets thrown into a cat and 22 gets thrown into uh his body that sort of body swap thing Mm -hmm. that that it just it felt like we jumped into a different movie at that point and and it jumped into sort of a strange there was a lot of um i don't understand how the rules of this fully work um, for me to sort of really understand the stakes of what's happening here. Mm. Like, I don't understand, like, why is it, why, and the, and these aren't, aren't important questions, but they're, they're questions that help you ground yourself in the sort of world of, of what's happening within the, within this film. But it's like uh, falling into earth is supposed to, you know, like, you're supposed to not remember. I don't think we our bodies separate our souls in this way. But when they were body swapped, they seem to, you know, like understand what had happened to them as souls. And well, I, I if, think I took that again. If we're looking into the mechanics of the minutia in that way, I took that as they sort of understood it a little bit better because they rode with um, Moonwind Graham Norton. Right, like they were on that thing, and they like talked about like being in the zone, and like then also getting obsessed with your with your passion, which I kind of really enjoyed that uh, aspect yeah. of it as well. That turned things into you know. I, uh, I think that know, works. I think the zone stuff and the depression think, stuff really works. Yeah, I think. And look, I'm not saying this is a perfect solution, but I just sort of took it with the grain of salt when they did that, because especially we find out pretty quickly once they're on Earth, like yeah. they f- remember where Moonwind said that they were a sign spinner, and yeah. then they go, and then the, the the stakes are you need to wait till the alignment of this, and then you can come and we can do this thing at yeah. 6:30. Like, so I was fine with that. It did feel like a different movie for a little bit. Yeah. Um. Uh, on that note. Now, now, if if we're if it's okay to do this, now it's sort of a bit of a transition into a meta commentary because there's been a lot of uh, discussion about race relations, sort of in this film yeah. with casting, and there's a million different things we can sort of break down with it. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I don't look. I, oh, I, so twenty two is voiced by Tina Fey, yeah. um, and uh, very much coded as a white female. Yeah. Uh, so because it's Tina Fey's voice, and you know. Yeah. That's how it is. And even the way the lines are written feels that way. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting choice, especially because of uh, a lot of this film being rooted in, 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 for lack of a better term, the structure of an African-American middle-aged man's life and the yeah. community around him, whether or not he is an active participant in that community based on what he believes is important or not. That's something that they explore, and I think they explore well. Um I was kind of 
look, I, and again, I am not in a place uh, to to fully judge if anyone should or should not be disappointed in the casting of this. I also don't think that, like, you could have cast a not white woman in this role and it would have been just as effective. I also, side note, didn't really like the character of 22. Yeah. Um. So there was that too. But, like, you could have very easily, as a creator or as a team or, like, whatever, sort of sidestepped a lot of these issues with a simple fix that would not have made the story, the, 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 the film any worse for the wear. And I'm just curious why that is, especially, like, I, 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 it, when these animated films, the names are a draw, but, like, I don't think as much, especially in a Holmes thing, when, like, the only two movies that come out for, like, two weeks are this and Wonder Woman. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, and I maybe they, when they started this film, they weren't planning that, of course. But yeah. I don't know. What well, did you What did you feel about that? I, I was I, kind of, that's I, where I was. I have very complicated feelings about this, uh, about the way race is dealt with in this film. Um, because... On the one hand, like there's much touted about the fact that this is the first black lead in a Pixar film, mm -hmm. which hasn't happened before, uh, and that there was a black co-director brought in to to ensure that there was authenticity. There's even reports of you know uh, Pixar really doing a lot of work to sort of cultivate uh, sort of uh, I, I believe they call it a cultural trust yep. around this, and and you you can see it in scenes like at the barbershop, um, where that really does feel like it's coming from an authentic place. Uh, um, about like what the barbershop means, you know, in the African American community. I mean, look, I'm not African American. Um, I certainly I go to African American barbershops from time to time, and it's like, yeah, it's a whole world in there that you need to, if you're going to represent it on screen, you need to really understand yeah. it. Let alone the fact that there's been what three Ice Cube movies about this. Um, but um, one, you know, like, and I think the the uh, the thing that you're pointing to was uh, referenced in a uh, uh, in an article by Charles Pulliam Moore on Gizmodo, uh, which was titled um, Soul Feels Like the First, uh, Pixar's First Black uh, black Movie Made with White People in Mind. Mm. And I don't, I don't entirely um, agree with the full sentiment of everything that, uh, that this article kind of talks about. Sure. But I can see how they get to this point. And I have a, I have sort of thoughts about how they get to this point. Okay. Um, Charles uh, Pullum Moore's, um, uh, Pulliam Moore, um, basically, you know, I think the, the scene you're referring to there, uh, he mentions in his article, the barbershop-like scenes in which Joe and 22 interact with Joe's seamstress mother, voiced by Felicia Rashad, are moments in which feel dis the film distinctly feels like it's taking you into uh, black spaces where Joe's interiority is more recognizable and expressive. But Soul frames these moments as belonging to 22 in a way that detracts from the movie's message because they imply that Joe himself was never properly comfortable in them prior to his adventure. And I, look... I think the movie is doing a lot of metaphysical stuff that allows them to have that inversion happen. You know, like that that Joe. I don't know how the film should deal with the with the with the problem that that this article is kind of mentioning, um, it, other than recasting Tina Fey. It's twofold, but, but it, it would still have the same. You know, like I don't think the the narrative drive would be any different. It would just be a different voice behind there. Well, it's twofold. Um, I read that article and I think it leaves out a lot of, it brings up some important points, but it also leaves out a, a few, um, yeah. first and foremost. Yeah. Joe is on like, this is, this is something that's interesting. And, and I think this happens when, and again, write us in only we were podcast at gmail.com if you, if you think I'm full of shit here, but I think this is something that happens when 
a lot is riding on a film culturally. This is the first black lead in a Pixar film. Right. right. Like so then the expectation is set to a certain regard and in many ways it should be. Now, is it problematic that we got to this point where this is a big deal? Yes, it is. But we're not going to fix that without doing, you know, it, it, you can go back and forth on that seesaw all day. But right. the but the fact that Joe is not comfortable in the spaces that culturally he should be comfortable is is not like this is going to be a weird thing and, and but like just because someone should be comfortable in the cultural space that they should be statistically comfortable in so many people are not yeah that that to me isn't the problematic right part. right 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 so yeah. there, there's that thing that's not brought up uh because i i I, I think that I like seeing that Joe is not comfortable and 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 in those spaces because it kind of sets you up that he's been so single-minded that he has not engaged with these other groups these these really lovely uh full of meaning sort of conversations and, and ideals with people yeah like Donnell Rawlings at the bar as the also barbershop. shout out to shout out turn up to yes. Donnell Rawlings uh, of guy code fame uh yeah. easily I, I I didn't know it was him. Yeah, uh, voicing voicing Des, and then after the fact, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, man, it is so nice. To, I I I really liked that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but the, but I I look. I think my the this is sort of delicate territory that I kind of want to wade through with an air of caution. Of course, not because I'm afraid of the topic, but I'm afraid of disrespecting the work that was done to get this film to where it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, it it's it. You know, like, again, if you read uh, the New York Times has a couple of articles about how um, this film was produced with both Pete Doctor and Kent Powers as, as the writers. Um, and I think the the intention to authentic, you know, the intention to maintain authenticity and to give voice to um, characters and and to to people that wouldn't normally have voice in this world, clearly, because this is the first time that a black lead has happened in a Pixar film is is really important and it is really well set up. If we compare this to another major franchise which had this moment just a few years ago, uh, which is Marvel and Black Panther, mm -hmm. where the, the notion was we are doing a black superhero and we are do, we're going to lend as much air to authenticity there as possible by Giving, not just giving voice, not just superficially casting this with black people, but also giving voice to writers and directors mm -hmm. to to author this from a black perspective that is uniquely theirs to to empower people to to do so. I think gave that film in particular that sort of watershed moment that it had, which I noted was grander than the film itself. You know, like like the idea of kids going to see Black Panther and feeling empowered by it and feeling true to it because all of the filmmakers involved, um, you know, were people that look like them. Yeah. Um, I, so I say this, I, I say this with caution because I don't want to suggest that Pete Doctor or Pixar or anyone is not doing this without the best of intentions sure. and without the best of, you know, without the, the complete and clear understanding of why representation matters and why authenticity matters. That said, 
This film is a film that began with Pete Docter writing a script uh, with, I think it was Mike Jones, or I could, I could be wrong about that, the, mm-hmm. the, the screenwriter's name there. Please uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and it was originally sit as a white actor in New York City, um, you know, which is um, maybe something closer to what Pete Doctor understands or what have you. Uh, and again, n- no way, in no way suggesting that uh, his capacity as a writer-director would not be able to transverse. Duly noted. Uh, we, you yeah, have covered yeah. all of your bases. I, yeah, I think yeah. everyone understands where you are coming from. Yeah, but, and and then there was a point where they decided, um, I think in development of this, that they needed to give voice to uh, authenticity here. So they brought in Kemp Powers to... Um, Initially, consult on the film. Uh, I think perhaps as part of the cultural trust that Pixar was organizing, Kim Powers wrote um, the the play One Night in Miami, which um, I believe Regina uh, Regina King is now directed into a feature film. Yes. Um, so Kim Powers is having kind of this this sort of wonderful moment here, and then eventually his role was elevated into um, into co-director of this film. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason why I'm sort of really again. I know I'm. I've said it since. I also don't want to diminish Kemp Powers' moment here as being like inauthentic or anything like that. I know it. I'm saying it because I really do appreciate what's happening in this film. It doesn't feel like it works because the real world side of this feels like a black movie. Mm-hmm. The soul world does not. Real world soul feels like a jazz movie, right? Like it's a movie about jazz. Right. The soul world feels like an Apple movie. Like it feels like an Apple commercial. And I think though, and and again, I I don't know what the intent was. Yeah. But I think the soul world was, Apple's a good good analogy. Yeah. Why why is Apple popular? Right. Well, Well, I want to talk just specifically about why Apple matters in that context. But no, continue. Sorry. Well, I I was going to say we can, but like, why is Apple popular? Because Apple basically made the simplest possible interface you can do the most with. Right. It's a blank sheet that you can then... And it's funny, because you'd think, like, oh, a blank page. I could fill it with everything that's me. That's not what Apple does. Apple likes to give you the illusion that you are, like, in control of your whole space. But at the end of the day, no matter what you do with an Apple product, it will still always look like an Apple product. So to that point, I think here, no matter what group of people, race, etc., the Earth characters are based around, to have that space be a Apple-esque space, a clean, nebulous, through, like, Picasso sort of liney character space little fluff balls etc is a is a safe move but i also think that designing something in a apple way is going to make it feel disconnected from whatever it is next to i think the issue is is that in the context of apple you know again just using apple as a yeah. metaphor here it's also a design aesthetic of- yeah, is that is that not only that design aesthetic, but also that sort of simplification of uh, of of uh, the the base layer of complexity. What it does do as well is it nullifies unique, specific ethnic experiences. And there's a part about the there's a part about the soul experience that feels like it nullifies the the experiences that Joe Gardner's character has in the real world. Like his, 
his experiences of like his mother and dealing with the world he lives in and and you know like picking this job that he has and and what jazz is jazz is one of the most important you know like as the movie says one of the most important cultural gifts that african american people have given to the world um it not you know like the fact that trent reznor's score is specifically used for a uh, trent reznor and atticus um ross's score is specifically used only for the soul moments and then there's a john batiste score for the moments in the outside mm-hmm. world it null it tends to nullify that that experience and makes it simplified and and we've talked about this before in our race and representation episode is that the nullification that happens ultimately boils down to non-ethnic and white it kind of feels like you know plain white spaces and 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 i i just feel that the like again i've 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 i'm stepping into this cautiously because you know like it's not a suggestion of whatever but it also it feels like the lessons that Joe Gardner is learning aren't specific to his experience in the world. Well, I don't you think know? the lessons that he's learning are... This is this is the weird part. I don't yeah. think the lessons he is learning... And again, I can only say this so far because I am not an African-American man. Yeah. I don't think the lessons he's learning are specific to that of, of, of those that only an African-American man can learn. Like, I, I think... I think and, and that's a choice for the for the script and and whatnot. And again, it's sort of uh, uh, a kind of uh, bad news bears in the sense of with all of the sort of like I don't want to say pressure, but like you know build up of like this is the first one that you know yeah. you come yeah. to expect a certain a certain a cachet of that, and this doesn't do that. I yeah. so here's the thing. This is and I hope I hope that as a white dude. I can see past my own sort of white bullshit. But yeah. like, okay, this is why I think what I'm about to say still is a is correct, at least for me. Right. While I am neck deep in white mm. pop culture, okay, mm. I don't have, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, I don't have a, uh, a a large family i have my mother and my father and uh an uncle and one grandparent okay but we don't see each other a lot it's not a big thing whatever i'm not religious i don't have a church i do not have a community that is spiritual in any way i also have no literal ties to any of my ethnicity outside of this sort of pop culture white dude in america right i i don't have a tie to my Polish ancestry, my Italian ancestry, uh, my Native American ancestry. I have no tie to any of it. I was not raised with it. I am this weird, blank, whatever nature nurture thing. Okay. Now, granted, still very white. No question <laughs> about that. You've seen me. You know, you, you, you understand this. I appreciate in an afterlife scenario everything being the not necessarily the apple aesthetic but a aesthetic that no nothing could be like put on to if that makes like i love that there's that this film dives into places that i won't experience that's what i love about film like uh, the 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 moment in the in the barbershop or in the jazz club like because of my uh, my race, because of uh, how I was brought up, because of just the world in general, I, I won't experience those things. And and 
it, it's nice to see that from the at least uh, a, a, a perspective that is trying. Um, but when it comes to the afterlife, because I kind of don't believe in the afterlife, uh, I kind of appreciate that it's not more like pump. Like, it's just sort of there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm talking in circles, but I think there's something I, I, in that sort of dummy rant that's true to me. I don't know. I think I, I and I, I, I totally see where you're coming from on that. And and I think, you know, uh, it's an it's a sort of difficult area to navigate with respect to this film because it's dealing with a with a metaphysical world that is very rarely being represented on screen. Right. Right. Like so we're talking about something. It's, it's not like they suddenly go uh, instead of. Uh, death they're dealing with hospitals or something like that which is something that we understand and right. you know like you know they're having to navigate the hospital system or whatever they're dealing with the metaphysical idea of what is a soul and where do people come from and the great beyond and the great before um i think the issue is i think that's fine the issue is is the movie basically sets up that this is a world that is invested in jazz right like it's about jazz not only as a I, not as a cultural identity, but also as an ethos for living. For and Joe. For Joe. And that's the central to his character. You mm-hmm. know, like that's that's how we get introduced to him. That's 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 everything we understand about them. But the the throughout the production of this film, we've got that sort of separation between the areas that are jazz and are black versus the areas that are kind of not. Now, again, this is very nebulous because, as we've already mentioned as well, Richard Aote does one of the voices in the as one of the Jerry's. Um, uh, a French, uh, a Brazilian actress, I believe, is one of the other Jerry's. Rachel House is, is Terry, you know, so it's, it's it not... It is a diverse it, cast. It's a diverse cast. But the sort of coding of ethnicity, of ethnics of ethnicity and ethnic spaces, which is what that Gizmodo article uh, pointed to as well, is very is very interesting to me. And 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 I think I, I'm not mad at the idea that there is separation, um, or, or no, I'm not mad at that it is one is black and one is white because I think again this is a movie that is striving for authenticity in both areas. What I'm sort of can't reconcile is why they aren't unified in a sort of interesting way. Like why isn't the the world of of you know from a from a meta point of view why isn't the world of um of the afterlife coded in the same way that joe views the world since it's all hypothetical anyway like why is it coded in a way that reads to me as white here's i here's what i think it is you know you know why i think it actually kind of reads as white more than anything and i think i might go back to this too is it's tina fey because the only character we actually have any actual time with in that space, like that we get to know outside of their function, mm. is a white lady, right? And and it's it, and, it, and and but but so so sorry so so just yeah. like that could definitely make it feel like I a hundred percent could sort of see that. Yeah, I, I don't think I I look, I like the idea that. And again, this is an animated uh, depiction of the afterlife. But I do like the idea that the afterlife would be something that is not coded to anything that we currently think of as a cultural or societal thing. I, I, I think if there's something that exists, it's so outside our realm of consciousness that uh, we, the, the physical meat bubble that has all of our thoughts in it currently would not be able to comprehend it. 
this is a representation of that. Do I think yeah. it's successful all the way? Yeah. No. Do I think because of that blank Apple aesthetic combined with casting Tina Fey as the only other character we meaningfully interact with in that space d- does anything but help code it as white? Yeah, it does that. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I, I'm sort of talking myself into your point. But I no, don't but think I, it's I, the aesthetic. I think no. it's honestly Tina Fey. No, and, and like, because here's the other thing is that in in order if if all things being equal that wouldn't be problematic because it's not Tina Fey's fault that she's white and that her voice sounds white and that this character is learning from you know like having You're right, to it's learn the casting from... director no but <laughs> we live in a historically uh in american cinema we live in a world where whiteness is a prevailing ideology that is renders both renders African Americans as invisible mm-hmm. and and without agency within their own stories. And so there's a history of this trope within American cinema, 100%. which is why which is why when you're taking the step, it kind of feels like you do need to you know, I tried to sort of surmise my my thoughts on this, which is that you this is my own thought, which is that you can't manufacture authenticity even with the best of intentions and the most robust of processes. And you can't bake something like this, sadly, in a vacuum. Yeah, it doesn't exist in that way. So the movie is not... Like, like unlike the coding of scenes that we saw in Wonder Woman 1984, which I, with our, our guest Khaldun yep. Kelly kind of really helped us you know, decode... In this case, I think the intention here is good. Like, I don't think anyone is going out of their way to to nullify black voices. In fact, I think the opposite is happening, you know, mm-hmm. which is that they are going out of their way to, to create uh, a situation where black voices, you know, where a black character can exist and that there are recognizable spaces like the barbershop and like the tailor and like the jazz club that are rendered authentically. Unfortunately... There's still a separation that happens in this particular film that is noticeable to me between what is, you know, what is the the sort of, I, I guess what it is is that the, the two voices don't feel unified in telling a singular story. Hmm. They feel like they're telling two different stories. I don't, and, I don't and, see that, but I do want to say this straight up. You've mentioned before how... In, in the pop culture that you grew up on and everything, the default, and when you're writing a script, the default is white because that's how pop culture is sort of like ingrained in you. I might not be, I definitely want to sort of like think about this more. I might not be able to as easily see the thing that you are describing. Like, right. I kind of just want to put, like, everything I said I before, I do believe. However, I also know that we are all, uh, uh, affected by our upbringing and yeah. the type of media that we have been shown. And I think there is a space where what you are saying is entirely true. And I cannot see that upon my first viewing of this film. So right. when I, and I do plan on going back and watching this again, because again, I did really enjoy the ride, but that's yeah. something I'm going to actually like, like, kind of try to look for now that I've enjoyed the ride. Like I've been on the roller coaster. I don't need, like, it's not about the like thrill of it anymore. Now it's about like, Oh wow. How that turns insane. Like (laughs) that's kind of what I'm looking for now. So yeah, I think that's where I'm at with that. And I will say my point of view, I I should really preface this is my point of view is not 
immersed in the African-American experience. No, that's not what I'm saying either. my, my, My experience that I think helps me is that my experience is being an outsider in almost every culture that I am yes, part of. Yes, that was and, my and, point, too, as well. Yeah, and, and like having to either code switch within to those cultures or be within them, like being an Indian person who doesn't know a lot about Indian culture. Mm-hmm. But what that means is that I know if I'm making, and I have done, made a film uh, which has an Indian character in it, I need to find a way to immerse myself within that so that that is not coming from a point of outsiderness. Yeah. And I think Pete Docter and Pixar and Kent Powers and everyone involved is thinking that way as well. Like, I, I do believe that they are trying to achieve that end goal. What I think is the un, the fundamentally the issue at play here is that if that is the end goal, then the power of the voices involved in telling this story from the ground up or from the top down need to be African American voices. They need to be Yeah. You know, like it's not it's not just the and and, and it's and, not and, it's not that sorry, it's not that the team that made this, a diverse team that made this and 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 went out to make these cultural trusts, etc., did not do a good job at making the thing. Yeah, but it if if this if the goal it all depends on what your goal is, and if yeah. the goal is having a culturally authentic film, then you kind of need to, like you said, from top to bottom, have people who are enriched and and, and embroiled in that culture to be doing it. And, and I didn't know what you said about this starting as a story a while ago about a white dude, and now yeah. a lot of that kind of reads like. I bet you when they reworked it, they probably didn't rework 22 that much. No, I, I don't know if they did. I, I, look, I don't know. And and also, this this topic in itself of it being authentically, you know, like African-American is complicated unto itself. I, I recall our conversation about Catherine Bigelow's film Detroit from like three or four years ago, where we talk, we talk specifically about like, what who gets to tell stories of certain yes. communities mm-hmm. and how do those stories get represented and there's no there's no part of this that that makes me want to suggest i think this came up in our wes anderson conversation uh about i love dogs as well where which says that you should stay in your lane and not tell tell stories outside of your lane sure. but i guess i'm comparing this for example to i'm watching i'm going through uh, steve mcqueen's small axe right now um which is you know the five films on amazon prime um about the west indian community and, and i I watched Forky ask a question. <laughs> you should watch Small X. You should watch, I wish uh, I had the least, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the experience of watching those films, which don't just feel authentically representing, but also with entirely embedded within the worlds that they're that they're talking about, makes me feel enriched by being in them. Mm-hmm. And again, like some of the greatest African-American stories that I've seen aren't written by African-American people. And it's a weird cultural anomaly. So it's not, a, again, I'm, I don't want to suggest that like it has to be this way, but I think, I think in this film that divide feels highlighted, not just by, not just by, um, you know, the, the, the sort of history of how this film got made, but also by the divisions that the film actually decides to employ which is you know again the the sort of uh you know jazz world versus the apple world and what does those two spaces mean when you put them side by side um 
it's an excellent film. Like I really do want to, like what, what's I don't great think is that anything we've said Shahir has said anything sort of negative about the film itself or the ride or the journey that people can take while watching it and what you can take yeah. away from it etc. I think yeah. what we are doing is exploring in this year uh 2021 now. Oh, yay. Yeah. Um yeah. that something like this with the there's so many angles. The cultural weight of a yeah. film like this based on a history of misrepresentation or not representation but now having representation and toting this as that mm. thing but it's not exactly that thing mm. and you can't just enjoy it in the space because also there's meaning behind the people inside of it that made it and that are doing it and like what if they just did this thing to avoid this thing? Well, that would fix this problem but add to this one like there's there's a lot of plates spinning here, yeah. and and none of them have we said this is a bad movie. Don't see this movie. This is a complicated yeah. thing that everyone should watch and kind of have their own opinions on what different plates they find the most important, and then sort of talk through your feelings about those because there's a lot to there's a lot to digest here, and we've been going for about an, over an hour at this point, and we're not like we're not scratching the surface. It's almost no, like. I it's almost like <laughs> the human soul and stories around it might be complex. Yeah, and what I like what I love about a film like this, you know, like why I don't like sometimes when we do a film that is, you know, outwardly bad is that is that I'm you know sorry you sort of, for jujitsu. Yeah, How absolutely. many times can I say it? <laughs> is that is that is that I think the film is robust enough to open the conversation in a meaningful way without having to dunk on the film. Yep. Like I Agreed. think it, I think I think we're playing along with the film and its flaws and successes at the same time. And and this is a film that has many successes. Um and is in deeply ambitious and is made by people who care about exploring um uh, complicated ideas through the medium of storytelling and are great at doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's not to hedge the concerns we have, but it's just, it's just, it's, it's it Pixar, be man. It can it's be Pixar. Both. It's Pixar. It's Pixar. Pixar are good at this. To be honest, and they, yeah. my final thoughts are exactly kind of what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, people should watch it. It's, yeah. it's on Disney plus, you know, you're home. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can watch this thing. and and does it and i think all those things are lead into the question of does it resonate and and resonating is is what i think is the most important thing about this film and for me it didn't quite 100 percent land but i did appreciate the experience and the originality and the and the and the ambition of it all and for me i go back to the roller coaster analogy when i'm on a roller coaster i'm in that experience and i am a hundred percent in that moment which I think uh, this film did for me, though I didn't think about it much after the fact. However, if you really dive deep into the sort of uh, the what they're trying to say about sort of like, it's not like stop and smell the roses, it's that everything's the roses. I think that that kind of works. Like the fa I, there's lots of cultural, real world human things that we've dissected while we talked about this this movie and people still should. That's almost like the creation of this film and and what it's saying in the current zeitgeist of 2021 in 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 racial relations specifically in America, right? Yeah. Um, but the concept I think of yeah, like everything is enjoyable or everything is it, everything has a meaning for being alive or whatever you want to sort of say about it does fit into my roller coaster analogy of like yeah, I'm yeah. on this thing, cool. Like, and then you're off. And then, yeah, and then you die. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. I don't know. I don't know.
Uh, I'm very curious to what our listeners have to say about this film. I think this will uh, uh, hopefully cause some debate. So if you have uh, something to contribute to the conversation, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up at on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Yes, this has been the only podcast about the film Soul. Interestingly enough, again, not about fish, even though Pixar loves doing that. Um, <laughs> Shahir, when you are not flying through the everlasting ether on your way to the great beyond filled with stars and then get knocked away by uh, a varying plethora of tiny furball creatures where can folks find you uh, you can find me playing in my imaginary cat den on my website, www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are not pondering the meaning of life based upon the bottom of your shoe, where can people find you? You can find me scratching the number 42 into Moonwind's ship over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN. Air, of course, Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. We are neck deep in our Saladin and the Third Crusade series. Uh, it is a doozy, and I love seeing it from this perspective. It's it's fascinating how the Crusader states. I I I I love to hate them. I love to hate them so much. Uh, but where so would we be without them? Check that. Out. Fuck. Oh God. <laughs> Um, no, uh, please check that out. Uh, also, uh, oh, and we just did an extra mythology. We're actually try starting to crack into uh, a bit of American mythology uh, uh, of the story of John Henry. John which, Henry. Uh, uh, which I, I really loved doing, so please check that out as well. Please, uh, because I am uh, uh, a simpleton, refresh my memory on who John Henry John Henry was the steel worker, the railroad worker, who, who raced the, st the, steam, the steam drill and won but died. There's a real complicated nonsense to that myth. Uh, a okay. Very racial and very um, workers' rights slash... Uh, automation slash it it it's a deep weird American myth that has a lot of different resonances for a lot of different people. Uh, it's interesting you didn't know it. No, I don't. Uh, because it's a, uh, specifically, so it it's a specifically American myth because there's so much joy and bullshit in it. Like okay. it's it's weird. Uh, but so it's not myth for me. It'll be the first time experiencing it, and uh, and you're gonna be like, what? Why yeah. did this guy? I okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we did a good enough job in the episode to explain a little bit of what's going on uh, by the end of it. Who the hell knows? Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to us talk about this film and all of the films you listen to us talk to you about. Next week, we will be doing another movie. Probably another one that was on our poll that was uh, that we put up before, so we could decide this one. I think the, the second runner-up was Promising Young Woman, yes. the Carrie Mulligan film, which uh, I'm pretty interested in checking out let's do it uh, I'm, I'm also interested in the australian film baby teeth which uh was also uh which didn't score very high on the poll but was recommended to us by a listener and uh why not do an australian film this year i'd I'll, like to do that a lot of the tent i like one sort of good thing about all the tent poles sort of not being tent poles uh yeah. is that we get to do polls and kind of put up what you want to see something else i saw here and i don't want to spring this on you nor do i think we have the time to do it but netflix is releasing a film a year oh, yeah sorry, I a, film a year a film a week a film a week, but I think I think they did that this year did as they? well. Oh. But, well, they had fifty-two films, but it doesn't come out in the same week. But yeah, they've got seventy films in a lineup next week, uh, next year. Oh, this year, sorry. Whatever. Uh, anyway, I thought yeah. that was fun. It made it make a good backdrop for a, a series. But you know, if we were made of time, if we were made of time, instead we're all made of stars, and. Uh,
that's it. We are all, we will all return to the great beyond. And you know what? That's okay. <laughs> I think I'm all right with it. Who would your mentor be? <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I think we're, I would eternally, be... we're eternally stuck to be each other's mentors at this point. Yeah, like Batman and the Joker. I guess. Uh, you can choose who, who's who, uh, <laughs> their audience. All right, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>